Before we get started, I want to tell you about my friends at Lean Solutions Group. Lean works with over 500 logistics and transportation companies in North America. You can describe Lean as a nearshoring company or a workforce optimization company, but as a customer, I describe Lean as a strategic partner who can help me win in a very competitive industry. They can quickly provide your company with top talent in operations, sales, marketing, technology, and business process outsourcing. They have over 9,000 employees in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, and the Philippines. Everyone is working with LSG. You need to. Check out the link in the show notes. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is the free TMS with my friend Tim Hyam. Of course, the free TMS is Ascend TMS. And Tim is the CEO of Ascend TMS, the world's most popular TMS software with over 56,000 customers in over 30 countries. According to my buddy Tim, Ascend TMS has been so successful because they have built a TMS that is easier to use, easier to implement, that's immediately, by the way, less expensive, and it does everything a TMS should do without a whole bunch of extra tech that adds complexity, cost, and very little value. To learn more about why over 56,000 customers use Ascend TMS, Check out my conversation with Tim Hyam. Hello, Joe. How are you doing today? Doing great. I am excited to finally talk to you. I've, I think we've been connected on LinkedIn since the 80s. And I've, I've always liked what you've been <laughs> yeah. doing. And I've been trying to interview you, it seems like, for the last year. Is that since we were in our 80s or the 1980s? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've been an admirer from afar. And then I think about six months ago, we were supposed to do a podcast. And I think you had to suddenly go back to yep. England. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to interview that dude. He's a busy man. So introduce yourself, if you don't mind, your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah, sure. I'm calling from sunny Florida from a place called Tierra Verde. It's a, a small island with one bridge that comes to it just south of St. Petersburg. I run a company called Ascend TMS, TMS Transportation Management System. It is something that is used by carriers, brokers, and shippers. Our largest customer is a $12 billion distributor, but that's out of the realm for us. That was by accident. Our typical customer has got 2.8 people that work there. So let's call it three people. We dominate the carrier and the broker segments of the market when it comes to TMS. And we squarely aim at being the SMB leader, small to medium-sized businesses so our average fleet carrier has 5.6 trucks that uses the system. Our average broker customer has got 2.8 humans. Let's call it three humans that use the system. And we have uh, customers and we have paying customers in over 30 countries. We have 56,000, over 56,000 customers overall. We're completely debt-free. We're very profitable, uh, which is something that we bring up a lot in sales calls and podcasts now because of, there's a lot of problems with people seeing their vendors starting to look a, bit, a little bit shaky. And so Ascend is nothing more than a, an operating system to run your trucking company, your shipping operations, or your brokerage and 3PL operations. And we do it very well. 100% cloud-based, which means no humans to run it. You don't need servers to run it. 
and you just go to thefreetms.com and hey presto, wherever you are in the world, the system works. Yep. By the way, before we hit record, we are talking about our mutual friend, Kevin Hill. Kevin has a company called Brush Pass Research, and he's studying all of the freight brokers. And we talked about this before we hit record, is that I think when I interviewed Kevin the other day, um, I think he said there's 27,000 brokers. Now, keep in mind, some of those brokers might be carriers that just do a little bit of brokerage, but the top 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 have the vast majority of the business, 80, 90% of the business. And most technologies, of course, are going after the guys with the deep pockets. And we all know those names, those top, the top 100, everyone knows the top 1000. I think a lot of people who sell in the space would know, but that forgets that there's a, as you call it, the long tail. There's 20,000 brokers besides those guys who are running businesses. And by the way, the reason they're still in business is because they're doing a good job. They are serving somebody. And I've said before, if I'm Ford Motor Company, I don't want to work with somebody small. If I'm Kroger, I don't want to work with somebody small. But if I'm shipping uh, three or four shipments a, a week, and I get to know a guy who lives down the street or one state over and we've been working for years, I'm not looking to upgrade. I'm not, oh, I should work with the largest company in the world. No, I like the guy I already have. He knows me. I know him. Our drivers know, my drivers knows him. It's perfect. So there is a place for that 20,000 that is the vast majority. And we're talking just brokerages. And the same applies to carriers. Most of the carriers are small. Absolutely. And, and many people forget that a typical small carrier, small broker with one, two, three, four people working there can make a very nice living for their family with one, two, three, four customers that they service really well. They see them when their kids are playing baseball together on a Saturday morning. They see them at church on Sunday. There's many small towns around America that's got one major plant of some kind, maybe a, a meat packing plant or corrugated boxes, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. It could be nuts and bolts. And that town might have 20% or 30% of the people that work in that town are somehow associated with that particular industry. And all the little restaurants and the, the little suppliers that kind of pop up around there are all family-based. So our typical customer is not your PepsiCo or your Home Depot or your C.H. Robinson type of enterprise. It's that small town America where three or four people make their living and raise their children on the money that it earns. A few of them do grow and they become quite large. We've got several major success stories. Matt Silver Forager that sold to Arrive Logistics, he started with Ascend TMS and built the company to be quite big and, and sold it to Arrive. There's many stories I have like that, but the vast majority never get beyond three or four people, but they can earn really nice money. They can be bringing home two or $300,000 a year net to raise their family. And that's who we squarely go after. Right. I've joked about this on the podcast because I interview a lot of founders like yourself who've done very well for themselves and <clears throat> a lot of a VC backed and it's sexy, it's glamorous, it's all those things. And when and, and then you do the back of the napkin, you go, dude, that guy's worth tens of millions of dollars. Oh my God. And I always think a guy who owns five trucks or has five guys working for him at a freight broker, if he lives in your neighborhood and you're down at the bonfire having a beer with him, you're like, that guy's got it made. 
He's killing it. He doesn't answer to a private equity guy or a VC. And there's some glamour in the big business. But this country, most, I'd imagine the rest of the world is the same, runs on small business. Absolutely. And, and I'm a big proponent of small business. It's what got me my start when I first came to America when I was 21 years old. I, I'm a Brit. Uh, as we had discussed earlier, I'm not Australian. I am a Brit. And, but America is the land of the small business, and I hope that continues. You can be a, a very nice-sized fish in a relatively small pond and, and be very happy without having to answer to VC and PE-type groups. Who want nothing wrong with those guys. And, I don't want them to get pissed off at me here. <laughs> nothing wrong with those guys at all. There are businesses that works for, and there's businesses that, to be frank, it should not work for. Yeah, and by the way, I talk to VCs a lot, and I think they're the first ones to say, that's not a VC type investment. The VCs know there's a new opportunity. It's high risk, high reward. If they invest, they want hockey stick growth. Not everything fits that. Freight brokerage does not, for the most part, fit that. And I think we learned a little bit with Convoy, and I like those guys very much. I think they upgraded the whole industry by bringing that tech focus. Even though they're gone, there's something to be said for having the VC money and the private equity attention that we never had in the past, but not every business needs it. Speaking of which, let's switch gears a little bit. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Ascend TMS. Well, I, so I, I, I won't bore you to that because obviously we could talk about one's history a lot, but I will say this, that when I was 15 years old in 1981, actually, I think I was 14 at the time, I got a, a computer that my mother got me for my birthday, and it was a Sinclair Electronics ZX81. And it had literally 1K of memory. So that meant I could essentially type 1,024 characters before it ran out of memory. And so we used to write, first it was in BASIC, which is beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code, very simple computer language. But if you got down to it, you could write in something called machine code, which was hexadecimal. And if you learned a few commands, you could get a lot more on the screen by using that machine code language rather than using something like a basic language. Me and my friends used to get together and design little stupid games like Pong and things. And one was called Quasimodo that we had published. It was a, Those were the back in the days where you literally had a cassette tape and you would pop the tape in, press play, plug it into the computer, and you'd hear this fax sounding noise and, and the, the game after five or seven minutes would load and then you could actually play the game and so i used to get really involved in this little world with my friends and my mother said look there's no future in that it's just a fad this computer thing just <laughs> she said go get a, a real job become a banker or an accountant or a doctor because that's where for a mother she felt that it was a safe and secure thing for me to do so I, I basically went to college. I then got into the insurance business, but I was still writing code with this new thing called a web browser. And I got qualified in insurance. I started at Lloyd's of London and I became a qualified underwriter. I, my profession, I have a title and it's a CPCU, Chartered Property Casualty Underwriter. It takes 10 examinations. The average person takes six years to do it. I hated insurance so much. I did all 10 examinations in two years. And, and I finished. And the day I got qualified, I left and I started a computer company. And the computer company did something very simple. We took this thing called a web browser, which was Mosaic at the time. And we started connecting some of the insurance companies to this new world called the internet. And we literally had to explain to them what the internet was because 
back then, and this is in the early 1990s, if you went to go for a homeowner's or a car quotation for your car, you would walk into an insurance agent and they would enter your information four or five times in different green screen systems to get you five quotes. Yeah. And so our system basically was a web browser and they would just have to enter it one time. And then we would go into those AS400 systems at the back at the same time. We would enter the information and it would bring it all back at once. So they could say, Mr. Lynch, here's your quotations from State Farm and Allstate, et cetera. And they would go down the list. And that was the first computer company I started. And all because, of course, my mother said there was no future in insurance and there was no future in computers. But because I became qualified in insurance and I loved the computer side, I was able to match the two together. And I started a company in 1996. We sold it. I sold it to a publicly traded company on April the 16th, 1998. I was 32 years old at the time, did very well, made a lot of money. It's public record. I could just tell you, we sold it for $28 million. I owned nice. 51% of the company. So I got, yeah, so I got half the money. The problem was though, Joe, before you get too excited, is this was right at the, the crux just before the dot-com mess. So I sold the company in the April. First boom. <laughs> yeah, April the 16th, 1998. And so what did I do with all the money? I put it in. I had no idea. I had a wealth manager all of a sudden who was on the floor below us. And I remember giving him this money and he was going to invest it for me in, in places that were going to go to the moon, as they say. And unfortunately, they didn't go to the moon. <laughs> they went to the basement. And so anyway, so that's how I found myself from all the way from the UK to America. By the way, I heard, oh, what? who's the who's the rapper? Too legit to quit. Oh, shoot. I'm trying to a blank on his name now. I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, he made a ton of money <laughs> and in the 80s and early 90s. And he's a good guy. I think he's a preacher now. He still does his thing. And I saw him on it. The, the guy with the baggy pants. The, the guy with the baggy pants. MC Hammer. Yeah, MC, MC Hammer. I couldn't think of his name. But I saw him on a special one time. And he said, I didn't get into drugs. I didn't get into drinking. I've lived a pretty clean life. He said, but I made so much money. And he says, and I thought I knew what to do with it. And he says, he goes, if there was a book written that said, what to do when you make $50 million in a year, I would have read it, but there wasn't one. So I didn't. <laughs> as a result, I didn't know what to do. And that, that's, so, you did, so to your point, you didn't need a, uh, the wealth manager quite as much as you thought. He said, I got to start up. Yeah, I, I look back now, it's experience, expensive, expensive experience, of course. I, I moved to Florida. That was all in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I, the one very smart thing I did that my mother, I, I do listen to my mother, who is still alive. She's 92 yesterday, 92. And I do remember her saying, never, ever be in debt to anybody because debt will control you. And the people that own the debt, they will control you even more. So when I did sell the company, not only did I stupidly give money to this, it was Bear Stearns. I, said, I still remember the name of the company who in turn went bankrupt with the whole mess in 2007. But I remember paying off all my debts. And so when the market did turn south during the dot-com mess, I was very fortunately in a position where I did have cash in the bank. Not a lot, I, but I had enough to basically start my next venture, which was I knew nothing about trucks. I met a lady in a, I say restaurant, and she used to joke it, it was a bar, but they did serve food, so it was a restaurant. <laughs> so this is, I've been married again since, but this is my, my ex-wife. And so I had nothing really to do. I was down here in Florida. I didn't really have a job. I was looking for something. 
And she ran a, a nursery, plant nursery. She used to grow plants for developers, housing developments, for apartment complexes, landscapers. And she offhandedly, just a few days after we met, she said, the biggest problem I've got is I, I hire this local truck drive, this trucking uh, uh, company. I'll never forget it. A freight broker called Lighthouse Freight Brokerage. I don't think they're still around anymore. And she said, and I call this guy up and the trucks never show up on time. And when they do, they've never got the right paperwork. I said, really? And I said, why is that? That doesn't make any sense. And she explained what a broker was and, and how trucking companies go through these intermediaries and why. And I said to her, I said, do you have Microsoft Excel on your computer at the office? And she said, yeah. So I, I went down there in the middle of, literally in the middle of nowhere because it's a plant nursery, right? And, and the bugs were the size of sparrows. Right? You go in there, and this is in Florida. And you go, and I remember going to the car and I'm like, darn, I'm going to hit myself all over because these bloody bugs are all over me. And I, I brought up Microsoft Excel and I wrote a really basic check-in process for the trucks when they came in. And it would tell them which field to go to and which row of that field. And they would get loaded and then they come out and then they would check out whether they were short or not short of the, the number of plants and pallets on those plants, the, the plants on the pallets. And that I discovered later was called a TMS, a transportation management system to allow her company to be able to manage that process. And then some of the other growers would say, oh, I hear you're going to Charleston or to Atlanta or Birmingham on Wednesday or Thursday. And we'd say, yes. And so they would start to say, can you come by my nursery and pick up the stuff for me if you're going to Atlanta? And we can do what is now called, you know, load to ride, shared kind of truckload. And so that then took off. And so we started doing that. And a few months later, Home Depot came to us and said, hey, we hear that you're doing a lot of freight out of Florida. We buy a lot out of Florida for all of our stores. Would you help us with the process? And <laughs> of course, an entrepreneur never says no. And so I went to Atlanta and, and this is a true story. And I convinced a lovely lady there called Kelly Killingsworth that we could help and we could help. I don't think that she quite realized just how big of a task she was giving. To, so you've got 22 at the time, 2200 stores giving me all of their loads for that week, which we're talking about hundreds of loads now going from all over Miami and Jacksonville and Orlando to all over the country, including the one furthest north, Fairbanks, Alaska. We were driving truckloads of freight to Fairbanks, Alaska. <laughs> you can imagine how much it costs to buy yourself a potted plant there, right? <laughs> for the transportation costs. And we did that for uh, probably 10 or 12 years. And that is... That was my next celebration of entrepreneurship, which is the company did really well. All of the business, all of their plant goods, what they call live goods, was outsourced to us. And we started officially a brokerage so that we could bring on other growers to be able to do shared truckloads. And, and we did very well. And that's how I found myself in this world of transportation. So when and why did you found Ascend TMS? What was the hole in the market you saw? Yeah. When we started the brokerage, it was called Interstay. We had assets as part of that. We wrote our own software because I'm a software guy. I could write the software. At the time, there was only two or three options, McLeod and Trimble. And I went to go look at those. They were just too expensive when we started out. So we wrote our own system. And so as that freight brokerage grew, we eventually sold the company. But through that process, that 15-year journey or so, I realized that all the big people that we dealt with had a TMS. 
All the small people we always dealt with didn't have any technology. They had spreadsheets, maybe, and they had whiteboards. And so I said, there's a company that I heard of at the time called Salesforce. And Salesforce, they created this CRM system that was in this new thing called the cloud. It was running on the internet. Because back in the day, Joe, you remember, you'd go to CompUSA, an actual physical store, and you would buy your CRM software, which was probably called Act or Goldmine, one of these systems. And you have it on a shiny CD and you put it in your computer. And that was how you obtained software. Salesforce said, we're going to put our CRM in this cloud thing on the internet. And you can come type in your password. Uh, you can then have access to all of these cool tools. And you don't even have to drive to CompUSA. And whenever we get upgrades, we'll just upgrade you without you having to upgrade the packaging. Get discs in with. the mail yeah. anymore. <laughs> No discs in the mail. And so I said, I, I want our system to reflect that ethos. I wanted it to be, there were three things I wanted. It had to be 100% online, which meant no servers to, you needed to run it on. I don't have to tell Joe to run them by XYZ server with RAID 5 compliance discs for, for storage. The other thing, it had to be dirt cheap. So I knew that the small guy didn't have 10, 20, $50,000 to spend to buy a license from one of these legacy players. And then the third thing is the vast majority of the small marketplace, which is, again, the backbone of America, they could barely use email. They, and they could barely spell www when they were typing a, you know, a, a, an address to go to a website. So I realized that they couldn't have expert staff or didn't have them or didn't want them to be able to have to run this system. So those three things, 100% online, just with your browser, dirt cheap with nothing up front and you didn't need expert people on your team to run it for you. And I said, if I could crack those three things, we would succeed. And I knew we'd succeed because the top 5% of the market were already using TMS technology and they were doing it very successfully. And all of the big shippers, the big brokers, big carriers were growing because of their unique technologies. The small guy, they knew that. They could see these big guys using tech. So I knew that the market was proven. And if I could only get that technology and bring it down to the smaller guy, I knew it would succeed. Once I sold the company, I sold it to private equity. Once I sold the brokerage and the asset side, we took out the intellectual property, which was called InMotion Global. It was just called InMotion. That's what we called it internally at the brokerage. But InMotion didn't have kind of that name, that sexy kind of connotation. So I thought, I need a name that starts with A. And I didn't like... <laughs> Aardvark TMS. <laughs> so I said, what's a name that's good looking, uh, good sounding that I could use that starts with A? Because I always wanted to be at the top of the, the lists when anything was alphabetical. Ascend just seemed to resonate well. I picked it in five minutes and it's only called Ascend because it starts with an A and it means to go upwards and to the right generally. <laughs> to there ascend. you go. And that's why Ascend TMS uh, is called that and that's how it was born. Yeah, I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on Wreaths Across America Radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. So, Getting back to it, when you were talking about Salesforce, we all know Salesforce started selling things from the cloud. And 
One of the other things that they pioneered for those who aren't paying close attention to it is software as a service. So the old way was I bought a, a, a software and it cost me $4,000 for the original discs. And then every quarter I would get updates, more discs. And so there was always a big purchase in the beginning and then smaller purchases to keep up to date. And the problem with that is smaller companies, again, aren't in a position to say, I'm going to spend $10,000 down and this much per quarter to keep a TMS. They just, by the way, it's adding that much value and more, but they're smaller. So they're looking and saying, no, this, and when you're starting, when you did, I imagine a lot of people are saying, yeah, software is a nice thing to have, but we had it at my old company, but at my new company that I just started, we're not going to have it. And we're good with email. It works it works better than the phone. And let's go. <laughs> well, when we started the company, uh, Ascend, it was 100% cloud-based. And we literally had to explain to people, they were hesitant of, of doing anything on the cloud because they thought that it was just too risky. And there were literally TMS competitors who were actually using that, legacy TMS players who were basically saying, why use XYZ TMS? Because we are not on the cloud, they were saying. We are 100% in your office. You can go see the server and touch it. And you can, you can see that it's working. And so they, those old guys were basically milking that cow until it fell over. And I do believe some of them actually have still got that cow. It's, the cow now is only on one leg because they refuse to change their methodology on how their software is delivered. Right. And by the way, the big legacy software companies, a lot of they're legacy for a reason. They grew and they support very large customers. And if you're these huge companies that bought that software 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you've got tens of millions of transactions. So the idea of switching is you're like, I think every guy who's in charge of that says, yeah, we should switch, but I only got five more years till I retire. <laughs> I don't want it to be, I don't want to, I don't want to live through yeah, it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Yeah, and, and also that you're fine with, you're fine with the, the big guys, Joe, too, is that at the top end of the market, that top 5%, there, there's very few new customers. All of the top 5% of, of shippers, brokers, and carriers are all using some kind of big name, generally TMS, or they've got their own proprietary system. So the sales cycle to try to sell one of those is, one to two years, and then all that everybody does, they're just swapping uh, logos back and forth. So I'm a cloud mic snatcher Trimble customer, and the Trimble customer, uh, the Trimble logo snatches a Mercury Gate logo, and then Mercury Gate logo snatch an XYZ TMS logo, and they, it's like uh, musical chairs. Nobody's gaining much new business; they're just moving around the uh, the dance floor. Yep. And again, I think you were really smart to recognize that the top of the market is very different than the bottom of the market. The top of the market says, we want what we, we want what we have to currently work. We will pay extra for sophistication. We'll have extra heads if we need it. We have the volume to justify it. If you're smaller, you look and say, first off, give me the basics first. And then as I grow, I w if there's additional sophistication I can use. By the way, this I think is one of the real challenges with all software, not just in our space, is you and I have gone through difficult software integrations and implementations. And sometimes you say, you sell it saying, we're going to use this much, 100% of its capability or 80% of its capability. 
But then we get worn out on the implementation and we stop at about 50% of the true value that software can provide. So then when you call your software guy and go, you sold me on this great system. And then you remind them, remember when I said you need to do this and this, and you said you didn't have time or you didn't want to, you're tired. That is where the extra value comes in. And that is all, that's a problem as old as software. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and the salespeople, they will constantly oversell uh, software's capabilities and what it can do. And then the moment that the sales uh, person gets their, their commission check, you never hear from them again unless they're trying to sell you another module of, to make the other modules that don't work again. So I, you know, I, I find it quite amusing, too, that in today's world, we actually are growing right now. We're having a better overall profit year this year than we did last year. And last year was good. We just closed, as I'm, uh, we're taping this, I just closed April, just closed uh, October. And our profits were fantastic. And the reason for that is some of the new customers we're getting are coming from those legacy players. And what they're telling us is the following. Hey, I just got an invoice from XYZ Legacy TMS and for $18,000. But we only use 10% of its capabilities. We don't use the other, exactly like me and you with Microsoft Excel. We, we do the basics, but we don't have the 95% of what Excel can do, we're not using. So they come to us and say, I don't want to spend this $18,000. We've only got six people here. How much will it cost for us to move to you? Because you do the 10% we need. So we say, okay, we do some quick math. And we say, okay, it'll cost about for the whole year for you guys. It's going $3,000 for the whole year for everything with nothing up front. And so we, and then we say, and we'll let you use it for free. We give them up to a year trial, up to one full year trial. So we say, here it is, not a penny. And if you don't like it, don't pay us. And if you do like it, you'll be happy to put your credit card in the screen. And so we're doing really well because people are realizing they don't want to pay for for a hundred percent fee for using only 10% of a system where the other 90% isn't being utilized. So you, so we called this podcast, the free TMS with my friend, Tim Hyam. And I was going to ask you, my next question was going to be, why do we, why did we call it the free TMS? But I think I know now I can get a one year free trial. And by the way, (laughs) as you were saying that it occurred to me, um, I'm an old ops guy. I spent much of my career in operations. And what do operations guys care about? Risk. The risk of being late, the risk of of overspending, the risk of quality problems, the risk of upsetting a customer, upstream risk, downstream risk. We worry about risk. Buying stuff is a risk. Buying software in a that is maybe more than I need is a significant risk. And if I don't implement it, Exactly. And I think to say, I will implement it to get the ROI, that's a risk. I, I, and I, but if I was a betting man, I would say a lot of people make ROI um, calculations that they never meet when it comes to technology spend, not just TMS on everything. Yeah, I, um, I, I did a, uh, a post about a year ago, and I, I can't remember the exact number, so please forgive me here. But it was a survey done of uh, for tech, all, all technology, not just TMS, but all technology implementations and migrations. And this is chief technology officers and, and VPs of technology, MIS type guys across a broad spectrum of industries. And it was something like only 17% of all the projects that got started actually got implemented. And there was a measurable ROI after it was implemented. 
So that means, give or take, about 83% of all the other projects either didn't meet any kind of ROI goals or just got abandoned in the middle of them because they just didn't work. And so it just shows there is a lot of risk by changing any kind of technology unless you've got the right team that are 100% ready to go from point A to point B, and point B meaning delivery and execution rather than just giving up halfway in between. Yeah, by the way, and I wanted to, I know you have another company where I want to talk about Shipper CRM. We'll get to that in a second. I don't use a CRM. I use what I call a notebook. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> and yeah, it's a paper notebook, actually with notes in it and next to company names. And I've used CRMs in the past. And I started asking people, smaller companies like mine, what CRM are you using? And they're like, yeah, we use this, we use that. And I won't mention names because I, I have no need to be nasty about it. A lot of companies, and by the way, larger companies where you can say, Tim, it's your job every day to go into that CRM and do this and this. Those I think work because there's a boss telling Tim and Joe they have to go into it every day. But for me, yeah. I was finding my CRM more cumbersome. And again, nothing wrong with the CRM. It, it's a fine tool, but I wasn't getting much out of it. And when I started asking other small business owners, they weren't getting enough out of it. And it occurs to me, if you were to ask a larger company in this space, like this Echo, CH Robinson, you mentioned Arrive, which I'd love to interview if they ever let me. I would suggest that those companies are going to say, you absolutely need a CRM to be successful. But for smaller guys, you go, God, I don't know. I'm just tired of forcing myself to do something that doesn't seem to get me all the way there. So I know what you're saying. The ROI being on only 17% of, by the way, this TMS or CRM I was using gave me a free copy. So it wasn't like I was being charged too much. I just wasn't getting enough out of it. Yeah, it's like any job you do around the house. Sometimes you need a wrench. Sometimes you need a hammer. Sometimes you need a screwdriver. You don't need all three at the same time. Some suit jobs better than others. And in, in a case where you don't have 5,000 leads to go after where you're making 100 cold calls a day. You don't need a CRM of any kind. But if you are a large company with a sea of cubicles and a bunch of youngsters pounding the phone expected to make 100 dials per day, then you need some kind of CRM to organize that. So it's just a, a case of what is the tool being used for? You're completely right, Joe. Yeah, and you're supporting that long tail of the market. That's, so you get very few calls from the top 100 or the top 500 even though it probably we don't even return their call. We don't even call them back. We get RFPs, Joe. This is no joke. And they send us a spreadsheet that's got 19 tabs with all the requirements. And they expect us to go onto some call and then to fly up to go to a presentation and take them to dinner and golf. We don't play that game. That we'll let the big guys play that game and spend 18 months on a sales cycle that they probably won't win anyway. Because if that big company's gone to five other vendors, only one of them's going to win in the end. That means you've got an 80% chance of losing. So we just politely declined. You know what we say? Thank you so much. We appreciate this. If you'd like to go to thefreetms.com, if there's something that you like, please go ahead and use it. There's no charge. And you'll be surprised how many people do that. We have some really big name clients that use us for a niche of their business. It might be a big grocery chain or a, a big restaurant supplier or a large manufacturer. And they're starting a new division in a particular country or state 
or they're starting a brokerage, or they might have bought 15 new trucks to try and do some of their own local haulage trucking. And so they don't want to spend $100,000 on XYZ system. They want to try with us. And so we have a lot of really big name logos that you would recognize that uses RTMS for a niche of their business because it makes sense for that little part of their business. And I also just think about this every once in a while when I think about trucking. If I was a trucking company, let's just say I have 15, 20 trucks, and then somebody says, why don't you open a little brokerage to help with the backhauls, help support your customers better, help support your fleet better. Okay. Now I have a choice. I can go spend quite a bit of money on a TMS, or I can go buy another truck and I'm a trucking company. (laughs) And if I'm a trucking company, I imagine I'm running lean. I don't want to have a whole bunch of people in the office. I don't want to have a support team to keep the TMS running. (laughs) I want to be able to say, yep, I made a little investment in this in time and money, and we're going to get significant ROI from this brokerage. One interesting thing about Ascend, and not because they, I didn't want to, this is not a sales thing for Ascend, is that if you're a carrier and you start using Ascend, we say, Are you, do you do any brokerage? This is at the very beginning of your little process. And, we, and if you say yes, we turn all your brokerage features on. If you're only a carrier and, and you don't need to see the brokerage features, they just disappear. They're just not there. Some of our brokers have a truck or two. Why? Because or when they call up right. a shipper, they want to pretend... Yeah, they want to pretend to be asset-based because their shipper says, are you asset-based? And they look at the back of their, their back window and they see their one truck that's parked there. Oh, yes, sir, we're asset-based. The truck's never left the yard in two years. But the point is that is if you're a, a broker using Ascend, all your brokerage features are there. And But if you do start to have a few assets, you just turn on the carrier features. And if you do that, then all of a sudden, there's new menu items just appear for your drivers and driver payroll and your asset management. But if you don't use those, if you don't have trucks, just turn the carrier features off and your screen becomes uncluttered because you don't need that stuff. Before we hit record, I brought up the topic I always bring up when I talk to techies is this idea of consumer grade technology. We are all walking around with these fantastic phones in our, and we've gotten used to really elegant, simple solutions that do little things. I get a Lyft. I hadn't used Lyft in a year. I got a brand new phone and I want, I was in San Diego. I got, I had to download it. I had to add, update my credit card. It took a minute. And I thought to myself, yep. brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I keep thinking how that would have worked 10 years ago, 10 years ago, it wouldn't have worked yep. at all. I would have said, I would have deleted the damn app. And so we've become <laughs> accustomed to really good technology solutions in our personal lives that's the consumer grade technology. Now, when we go to work, we are not willing to tolerate the crap software that we touched, you and I touched in the 90s, where it was green screens with black backgrounds. You got to hit F8 control to get to the price screen. We won't put up with that. And I don't think anybody wants that long hassle. Please elaborate. Yeah. W- when we're building uh, Ascend, we realize that most people are using these devices in their daily lives. And so, If we were to present something that isn't at least at that same level, then people would want to use something else. We have a bit of an ethos that when you put a a button or any kind of item on on Ascend that you have to click to go to the next screen or to save something or to ask something, there's three things it should do. First of all, if there's a button there, you should be able to mount. You've only used to get one or two words on that button. You can't write a paragraph. So people need to know 
what do I do next? And so if you move your mouse, just move your mouse over and a little paragraph should come up of what you, what that button should do if you press it. So you take the fear away from pressing the button. So that person then presses the button and then two things can happen. Either the expected thing can happen. So you should give them a positive, hey, Joe, thumbs up. The thing that you thought was going to happen did happen. Let's carry on. Or what's usually worse is where the thing that you didn't expect to happen is a thumbs down. It goes, hey, Joe, the thing didn't happen that you thought was going to happen. And then often they'll just leave you hanging there. But there's some kind of error on the screen. What good technology should say is, hey, Joe, we think you were trying to do this, but this is what happened. You've got a thumbs down. This is what we can do to fix it. Did you want to go this direction or that direction? And so if you do those simple things within a software platform, you find that people appreciate you because you are becoming almost like a, a partner of theirs on the screen rather than an area of confusion and being tense during the day and fear. You're becoming a solution to them by offering really simple prompts and as simple as a thumbs up or a thumbs down with a little bit of, of contextual direction of where to go next. This is the challenge that your technologists are always dealing with is the more sophistication that a, an application has, hopefully the simpler it gets. But if you have, want to have a ton of capability, sometimes you have to sacrifice a little bit of the simplicity. Yeah, absolutely. So if you decided I'm going to build this for the guys at the very top of the market, it wouldn't be appropriate for the guys at the bottom. They would go, yeah, it's got all that capability. I don't need that capability. And I don't want a, a training session. By the way, a, a friend of mine, I, well, a client, but and also a friend, he was responsible for uh, develop, redeveloping a parts and service for a large company, large manufacturing company. Okay. And he said to them, this is simple. I want Amazon. I want you to create an amazon.com solution. And what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to train all my reps and all my team. It's going to be that simple. No one goes to amazon.com training or Lyft training or DoorDash training. There's no need. And so we love those solutions. And the ones that drag you down into, the, into to, hey, we're going to teach you a different language and teach you to think like a technologist, it, that, that's just the wrong way to live. And by the way, I got to throw this out there. We all have cable at our houses, cable TV or cable in the internet. And those boxes that they give you to put in your house, first off, they're ugly. And then they have all those bright lights on them <laughs> with all those abbreviations that are meant for who? Technologists. They're not for the consumer to look at. I think there should be a big button that says, this is the reset button. It should be huge and it should be green. And by the way, I've had this where they say to me, could you read the serial number off the back of that box to me? And I'm like, well, here's a number. It doesn't say serial number near it. Here, Oh, here's another number. <laughs> there are six different numbers I can read you. It is maddening. It's as if they don't have a design group. It's as if nobody has a mother where they say, hey, mom, did you get your new cable? And she says, holy God, who designed this piece of crap? <laughs> it's technologists making tools for technologists. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a whole movement right now um, that, that are, I think there's an association actually that is designed simply to try to make even things like packaging easier to open. 
Like those packages you get that are almost welded around the edges that an elephant couldn't open. They're trying to design packaging as well as technology to make it easier. For example, why do they put the serial number anyway in the hardest place to find? Put it just on the side. And make it a tenth of an inch high. Yeah, so I don't need to, yeah, I don't need to pull the thing out and, and lift it up and take a picture of it with my phone to zoom in because I can't read it because it's so small. Oh, we could go on and on. The things that annoy me about how the world works. By the way, the packaging thing you mentioned, hospital ER rooms track now packaging related injuries. And of course they spike around the holidays <laughs> when dad is trying to free Barbie from her prison of plastic. <laughs> anyway, let, let's switch gears. So you will offer your, your send for one year for free. And again, you're serving the bottom of the market with a tool that is custom made for them. You'll serve the top of the market, but it's made for the bottom of the market. Very easy to implement, easy to get your money back because you paid nothing up front. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I wouldn't say the bottom of the market. I would say it's aimed for the majority of the market. Yeah, yeah, that's the right way to say it because again, the top 1,500 freight brokers probably have enormous volume, but there's 20 some thousand other players and they don't all need the same tool. So there's one other thing I want to talk about, which is shipper CRM. It's something you talked to me about before we hit record. It's not exactly the free TMS. So tell us what is shipper CRM? Yeah. So very briefly, I get a lot of these young entrepreneurs hit me up on LinkedIn and they, they ask me all kinds of questions. And I am more than happy to help people out. I'd never charge. I never ask for equity. I've just been there. I'm almost retired, Joe. I'm 56. I'm at the I'm at the end of my career and I'm trying to help. You got nothing else. Yeah, I've got you nothing else. This. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I do love it. I do love it. And so I realized I've been doing this in this business for so long that I realized that I've seen a couple of market cycles. And I knew that during 2020 to 2022, beginning of 23, there was so much freight that anybody, any idiot could open a carrier, a broker, 3PL. Any, you just put your hand outside the window and freight would hit it. And so I, and everybody was making money, but I knew that eventually the madness would end. And when that madness ended, I've seen it before. I knew that everybody all of a sudden would now be trying to find new business. They were looking for new freight. And so- Got a little met, desperate out there. Yeah, yeah. So I met PBJ, Paul Jarakowski from, from Freight Caviar. And he had a friend uh, called uh, Christian Gebis, who was running the CEO at the time of an autonomous uh, vehicle company. And we got to know each other and I, they said to me, essentially, what is the, the area that you believe was have a, a really nice niche to be able to create something in logistics? And so I said, look, there's one area that I've been asked about for years. My customers are saying to me, hey, Tim, we need leads. We need shipper leads where today we're using the internet, we're maybe buying leads that are so terribly bad off these internet yeah, Everybody else got the same one. <laughs> Say, yeah, there's one, I think there's one lead list that just circulates everywhere. And there's one guy making all the money on it. Um, and, and a lot of them were using Zoom Info and a couple of these other systems, which are not cheap, by the way, $1,000 per month and up, but very expensive. And it's very general data. You can look up a company and it will give you general information, but it's not specific to shipping. So I said, if you or if we, if the industry could create a CRM where you could say, hey, I'm an expert in refrigerated freight in the state of XY, I don't know, Texas, and I like uh, to go with companies that are between, say, five and 10 million in freight spend and have a database that pulls all that information up 
both through a list or, or through a, a map. So you can literally zoom into a map like you do with Zillow, and you could zoom into uh, a zip code in the Dallas area because you're going to your Aunt Bertha's birthday, and you could say, show me all of those refrigerated chippers within between 5 and 10 million of freight spend and plot me a route so I can go visit those. And it says, hey, here's eight that we pulled out. They're within four miles of each other. So while you're going to Bertha's house on Tuesday, why don't you go and knock on the door? And by the way, here's a basically a cheat sheet for every one of those shippers. It's got not only the name of the shipper, but it's got all the contacts, verified contact names, verified emails, verified phone numbers. It's got the modes of transportation they do, whether it's just dry van, refrigerated flatbed, ocean freight, air, what their size is, what kind of markets they ship into, and what inbound freight they have. If you can provide all that information to a salesperson, i.e. the owner of a small broker or a small carrier, they will have a much better chance of landing that freight if they're able to know something about the company and go and knock on the door and visit them. And so the conversation with those guys ended, and literally, this is not a joke, 90 days later, they called me up and they said, hey, Tim, we built it. And I said, you built what? We built Shipper CRM, the thing we were talking about. I said, are you serious? So they showed me online and it was very crude. It was a very crude representation of what we have today. For the listeners, go to shippercrm.com or findshippersfast.com. We'll put a link in the show notes for it. Yeah. And I was so impressed, Joe. I said, boys, I want to invest in this. I said, I'm going to take my personal money. I said, and, and so I did two small rounds of investment. And by the time that you air this show, we just closed a round with Triumph Financial, which is Triumph Pay and Triumph, the big Triumph factoring company. Triumph Financial liked it so much, they invested and bought a minority stake. And, and that press release goes out next week. And we already, we haven't even launched officially yet, and we already have paying customers, which is a testament to what we've built because the beta customers liked it so much, they didn't want to stop using it. They wanted to keep using it. So we started taking their credit cards. That is, to me, what America is all about. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So does Shipper CRM integrate with Ascend? Of course it does. Of course it does. We nice. were the first company to integrate it. It is integrated as we talk today. You can use it separately as a standalone because we're not, we realize that many people out there use other TMSs and they don't just use Ascend. But if you're using Ascend, there's one, but it's in several places. You can click a button, you can go to Shipper CRM, and you can get yourself sh any shipper you want in North America verified name of a shipper, verified address, verified phone number, and a verified email. We can even get you a cell phone number of the shipping manager. Tim, what you described is you could basically, if somebody says, hey, I'm working at a brokerage or I'm working, I want to start my own. How do I start? I start with potentially a free TMS and a whole bunch of shippers in a CRM. It's a very nice place. I'm to so glad you said that, Jeff, because that's why we did it. You made my day just by saying that, because that's exactly what we wanted. That small person that maybe just got laid off at Convoy and has good relationships with some of their shippers or some of these brokerages going bankrupt. What happens, our business goes up because all those little brokers, they scatter into the market and they need a TMS. They want to keep doing business with that one or two shippers they have. So they use a send. They start doing business on Monday morning. We see this live. And then they need to go get a few more shippers to try to bolster their, their business. And so that's where Shipper CRM comes in. Yeah. And by the way, I know there's other integrations, but I also know you integrate with Denim, which used to be called Axel, Axel Payments, and they've changed the name to Denim. 
And Denim. Wonderful guys, wonderful guys. Denim, I believe, shoots for the, I won't say the bottom of the market, but it's the, the I know Triumph at the top of the market. I, I think Denim is the small, medium size companies and they are payments. So if you need to factor some loads, they will. But I got a demo the other day. What I was impressed with is you don't have to factor everything. You can use their system and you can say, I'm going to factor this one because I'm short a little money this week, but I'm not going to factor the other ones. And so it's a very slick system. And honestly, when I was looking at it, they said, popped up and said, here's my most profitable customers. Here's my slowest pairs. Here's my least profitable. Here's who pays me fastest. And I was like, this is a not just a payment system. It's it's a business intelligence system. I know that is such an overused thing, but it's simple business intelligence. It's not pie in the sky. This is what you want to look at and you go, okay, these bottom three on the least profitable who also pay me the slowest, let's reform them or get rid of them. <laughs> and, and Joe, that's been something that the big guys, the top 5% of the market have had for years. Yes. And people like Denim, are bringing that kind of insight, let's call it. I hate the word analytics sometimes because analytics is just looking at something and analyzing it. Insight is what you get from the analytics, right? And so they're providing that analytical insight for the rest of the market. And their customer and our customer, we're fully integrated with Denim and and they're identical profiles when you look at who their customer is and who our customer is. I love it. I love it. So... Give us your final thoughts on the topic. Then I want to ask you who else I should get on my podcast. Final thoughts on this free TMS with Tim. I am. Yeah. My final thoughts are that the industry has for the last, certainly for the last five years, been digitizing all of the small guys because digitization was once privy only to the top five yes, to the yes. market. And so the top guys could do digital business together because they were all already digital. In order to get the full benefits for all of us in digital technology, digital business, whatever you want to call it, you have to get the other 95% of the people to be able to participate in that transaction. And the only way you do that is to give them the digital tools to do. So I think the next five to 10 years is going to be very instrumental in getting everybody I'm, I'm talking about from the single owner operator right through to the, the Coca-Colas and the Pepsis of the world are all going to be on a living play, level playing field when it comes to be able to digitally interact with each other. It's happening very quickly, but I think the next 10 years are going to be instrumental in making that entire circle complete. I love it. I love it. Tim, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, rock stars of the business. Who else should I interview? So I love talking to, I've got a lot of friends, other CEOs, people that are founders, some made exits, some didn't. And I've got so many people I could tell you about. And many of them, I know what they're doing on the side, not on the side, but it's not publicly yet. So I was just the other day, I was talking to uh, Matt Silver, not the Matt Silver from uh, the wonderful uh, folks over at Green Screens, but the Matt Silver who started Forager Logistics. He sold to Arrive. You told me we can't even say the Matt Silver with a beard because they both have beards. Matt Silver at Green Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they one, both... one has a shorter beard. <laughs> yeah. The one with the shorter beard, I think, uh, is, uh, is Jeff Silver. He is from Freight Loyalty. <laughs> yeah, he's for Jeff Silver's son and Andrew Silver, the founder, one of the founders of Molo, which I respect a lot. So Matt recently left Arrive and he's doing something very special. I don't want to say what it is, Joe, because I want you to reach out to him. All right, I will. But when he told me about it, he said, what do you think of this idea? 
and I pause and I love it when I'm like, man, that's genius. And, I, and because he's got the experience that he saw a gap in the market and he's filling that gap I love and it. he's truly is genius. Another couple guys that are doing something interesting is the folks at Freight Validate and Nathaniel Ebel and Dale Price. They've recognized that how do you get identity of a carrier or a broker to know 100% sure that you're doing business with the person who they say they are. So they're doing some interesting things there. I think they'd be good to talk to. And then finally, I think you've already interviewed him maybe even a couple of times, but my very good friend, Jordan Graft, who will be down here in a few weeks. He's the the founder of Highway. Of course, everybody knows him because he started Triumph Pay. They're now doing close to $40 billion worth of payment transactions. He left there as it was on its ascent. And Jordan started Highway, which is the onboarding and anti-fraud crusader. And again, it all comes down to know who you're doing business with, know your customer, know your vendor kind of uh, experience. And I think he's doing some amazing things in the anti-fraud arena. I love it. I definitely know he is. His name comes up a lot. I can tell you, when I did the podcast, I always ask people, and I get Jordan Graff's name, I'd say once every third or fourth interview because they're having that much impact. (laughs) Yes, they are. What I'll do, Tim, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to Shipper CRM, and I'll put a link to Ascend TMS, and people can get their free trial if they want. They can also get, get started really quickly, which I like. Absolutely. And I just want to say, Joe, I've been listening to your podcast for many years. I listen to a few podcasts, but rarely do I listen to one particular podcast all the time. And you, and I really mean this, I'm not just saying this because we've missed each other a few times, but your podcasts, in my opinion, tend to be, there's lots of different subjects and I like to learn about different subjects and your interviewing style is very calm very, you're very good at extracting information from people. And I really want to say thank you for having such a high quality podcast. Thank you so much. I say this all the time is my podcast is good because of the guests I'm able to get. I get a lot of founders and I get people opening up and sharing what they've done, what they've learned. And I will also say this, we have a ton of silos in logistics. When you think about what is logistics and at the highest level, it's all these transportation businesses. You could be a flat out expert at ocean freight or truckload freight or LTL and know nothing about technology and or nothing about warehousing and fulfillment. And we're all in these silos, except the shippers that we all serve expect us to be experts in all of it. <laughs> and so yes, I, I you're used right. To, I used to think the people who listen to my podcast would skew really young because I ask very basic questions. No, it skews old. And I think it's because there's a million guys who go, you know what? I got to get up to speed on all this tech and I don't understand it. I got to start learning the rest of the business. It changes so damn fast, but it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Joe. I'm not saying uh, this to be a kiss ass, but I love what I do. And I love the people I get to interview people like you. So thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.